You're listening to the Rob Review Podcast. Evan Rob and Laura Rob share their thoughts and opinions on teaching, learning, and leadership. And now, the Rob Review Podcast with Evan and Laura. This is Evan Rob, and I am with Laura Rob. This is the Rob Review Podcast. Welcome, Laura. I'm happy to be here with you, Evan, today. Laura, I'm excited today because the topic of our podcast is is independent reading is not just for English class. And I know we'll be sharing some ideas and you'll be sharing some insights into how independent reading can spread outside of English class. But as always, you always remind me when we start a podcast, I have to share a funny story. And this actually the title of this podcast resonates with me because I absolutely engaged in no independent reading outside of my English classes when I was in middle school. But I also didn't do any independent reading in my English classes either. In fact, I didn't do any reading at all. I think I went through grades six, seven, and eight and maybe read one book. Um, But of course, I would sit in my classes and my teachers with with tremendous energy and enthusiasm, they would have a book that they would read out loud. And that was my English class was just to sit there and hear the book being read out loud. But I never read a book, maybe one, maybe, maybe one or two from sixth through eighth grade. That's pretty scary, Evan, but you know what? It still goes on today. Well, it certainly went on in the late 1970s when I was in middle school. So let's talk a little bit now about independent reading. Uh, of course, the value, what I want you to expand upon, Laura, is, is the value of independent reading and then how schools can help students understand that independent reading is not just something that you, they experience and do within reading class, but something that expands into other classes also. Absolutely. Well, one. A piece of information I'd like to put out is that uh, studies have shown that children of today's generation will need 20 times more literacy skills, reading and writing skills, to get into a good university, to get a really outstanding and productive job, one they love, than two or three generations past. So it's our responsibility to build that reading capacity, and we know that practice is the key. But there's one point I really want to make. I think it's important to look at what Aristotle said, and he said this more than 1,500 years ago. Uh, He said, educating the mind without educating the heart is no education at all. Laura, I appreciate you sharing that quote, and that reminds me because I remember that quote appeared in your most recent blog post for Scholastic, and um, I would encourage our listeners to check out Laura Robb's posts on Scholastic. Um, she's put some really great blog posts up there, and uh, and I will say I've got a couple up there myself also, and encourage people to and check those out. And they're excellent, if I might add. Well, I would not expect you to say anything else on this podcast, Laura. That's true. But I'm totally objective. So let's talk a little bit about. So you're 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 telling you're telling me and you're telling our audience that kids are going to be needing to do more reading than they've ever done before, and we know that that can't be the sole responsibility of a language arts classroom. Absolutely, but you know, it's important for kids to understand that reading is part of all subjects. And when Aristotle made that statement, he didn't say only literature uh, or only drama. He said that uh, educating the mind without educating the heart is no education at all. And I would add 
in any subject that students study. So what does that mean? What yeah. do you think it means, Evan? Well, you know, what I think it means is that there's opportunities. You know, I'm really a big fan of helping students understand that things blend, uh, you know, and, and that life is not compartmentalized, even though schools tend to do, a, do some compartmentalizing. Writing, for example, you know, we, we write in every content area when we're in school and we write in every walk, in every different you know, part of our life, you know, as adults, so we want kids to understand that writing is something that certainly occurs in language arts classrooms, but it's also something that occurs in a history classroom or, or even a physical education classroom. So what it, what it means to me is there are opportunities for staff to reflect on ways to expose students to reading opportunities in their class, no matter what they teach. Absolutely. I would extend it even to sports and the fine arts. There are wonderful biographies about sports heroes and uh, students who overcame like <clears throat> uh, the odds, like physical disabilities, like Wilma Rudolph, who, event who, who had polio and was crippled and eventually won three gold medals uh, in the Olympics that she competed in. Um, those are wonderful role models and inspiring stories. But not only in physical education, but in social studies and science. And this is an interesting thing. Whenever I work with a school district, I encourage them to get classroom libraries for the content teachers. And, you know, money becomes an issue. And those teachers are always left out um, of a purchase like that. And I think that it's crucial that students have access to books in all of those subjects. Well, you know, it's really, uh, it's really exciting what, what you're sharing. So let, let me ask you this question. What happens at a lot of middle schools across the country is, is teachers try to do cross-curricular units. And so you have a teacher who's teaching the Civil War, a history teacher who's teaching the Civil War, and you have a language arts teacher who is having students read maybe across five Aprils. So they're getting the connection that way. But what I'm hearing you saying is that's good. You're not going to say that's a bad thing, but you're saying that kids could be doing a reading activity within their reading class, but also concurrently be doing a reading activity in their social studies class also. And, I, you know, I know that we don't want students to become overwhelmed and be juggling five books at once. So what it does is it fosters communication uh, among teachers. I want the content teachers to communicate with the English teacher. And I want the phys ed teacher to say, you know, for the next two weeks, I want my students to read a book about a famous sports person. In math, I would like them to read about a mathematician. I think that in the subject, it's not just the material they're learning right there and then, but if you're going to be inspired, you need to read about people who offer inspiration to the student. And that happens in every subject. And I think we forget that. I think you're absolutely right. I think that we do forget that. I think that it's easy for a math teacher to uh, to look at their curriculum and to look at, you know, hopefully creative, innovative ways to instruct and teach their curriculum, but not necessarily to think about how reading could be part of their curriculum to expose students in the example that you give to famous mathematicians throughout history. Right, and you as an outstanding principal can help this along by offering to read aloud, and there are lots of short texts in all these content areas, to a class, to a history class, to a science class, uh, to a music class, to a foreign language class. Yeah, and I want to I clarify, so you're not saying that 
you know, I give an example of Across Five Aprils as the English book and the history teacher teaching the Civil War, and there's some collaborative opportunities. But you're not you're not saying that, well, the history teacher should teach Across Five Aprils and the English teacher should teach another book at the same time. What I hear you saying is that that collaborative opportunity that I spoke to is good, but there are also opportunities for short text selections to be part of that history class if the collaborative opportunity is not there. Absolutely. Um, and I it, it and I think when you get into history and science, we're talking about primary sources. We're t- look, talking about uh, experiments or breakthroughs that uh, changed the world. I, I want I want students to know this more than a paragraph from a textbook. So and and for me, in a lot of those subjects, I'm going to extend the concept of reading. I would also include it as viewing. So I think. Watching video clips, watching uh, short uh, excerpts from movies that deal with topics that they're studying is reading a visual. We're not just reading print text, but we're also reading visuals. I would like them, uh, teachers of those subjects, to connect students to art institutes all over the world so that if you're studying Egypt, ancient Egypt, you would want to look at the British Museum and find out about their collection um, and, and, and get that firsthand experience. Yeah, and you're absolutely right. And you know, now, especially with more and more computers and technology being available in schools, the opportunities for kids to make those connections uh, and to, to think more globally and experience their world uh, that way uh, are just growing all the time. Absolutely. And you know, Pernille Rick, uh, a wonderful educator, seventh grade I, I teacher. Would ag- I would agree. Yeah, she's got that global read aloud, which is using technology uh, in a very positive way. So we want to do that. We want to show students that we read the world. There are different ways to read the world, and it's not only a novel or historical fiction. You know, Laura, I'll say this, and I'll certainly say it to our viewing audience. I get so excited to hear you talk about reading because you are so enthusiastic and so passionate about reading. Um, it, it is really exciting. One of the things that I need to ask you, and I've asked you this before, but it's important that we bring it up today on our, on our podcast. Sometimes when teachers are um, contemplating um, incorporating reading into their class, and maybe it hasn't been incorporated in before, the question that comes up is accountability. You know, how do I hold students accountable for this reading? And I'd like to share some thoughts on that, please. Okay. I, um, for me... Uh, accountability takes a different tack. I, I'm not big on uh, dioramas. I'm not big on writing reports about a book and turning it into the teacher. That doesn't help anybody. But I am big on, on conversations. Why couldn't a teacher, after the students finish their books, organize them into groups and give each group, give the class 15 minutes to share something that was that powerful that they learned from the book or the text or the visual uh, that they read, which is really the best way to do it because what you're doing is you're advertising other books, other possibilities to students who might never have thought about it. And we know from research that in intermediate, middle school, and high school, it's peer recommendations that count the most. And this is a good way to tap into that. Yeah, that's a really good example. And, you know, I think people can get hung up on this idea that everything that you do has to be graded. Uh, And sometimes things simply don't need to be graded. I mean, you and I have talked before, Laura, that 
you and I would not argue that organizing a notebook is an important part for a middle school student. Uh, it's an important skill for them to have. Absolutely. It just doesn't necessarily need to go in a grade book. Absolutely. Uh, and, you know, every, everything they read does not have to be graded because it's not cultivating a personal reading life. What you're, The message you're sending to a student is that reading is for school. And uh, I don't have to do reading outside of school because so, nobody's grading me. I'm not getting, a, a, you know, a reward. Laura, I appreciate all the information that you shared during this podcast. You know, what you're saying is that students will need to read more and more as they move into the future. And that cannot be the sole responsibility of the English language arts teacher Absolutely. in the building. That teachers across different content areas can find, seek out, and, and explore interesting opportunities for them to incorporate reading into their classrooms. And they need not get hung up on how to hold students accountable for their reading. Absolutely. And the other thing, uh, the, the school district has a responsibility now to look at this in a broader uh, way, that it's not just in the English classes that we're going to have libraries, but we're going to have libraries in, in content subjects. And in addition to libraries, I think there should be CDs, uh, you know, things that, that are visual, that students learn that way. Because there's all kinds of reading. Yeah, Laura, I, I really, you have so many ideas, and I appreciate all the ideas that you shared. I hope our viewing audience um, I, feels very much the same. Laura, I'd like to thank you for coming to the Rob Review podcast this afternoon. Well, I'm happy you invited me to talk about this topic because, as you can tell, I feel very strongly about it. Yeah, I may not be the sharp, the sharpest knife in the drawer, but I can figure that one out. I, I do know that you're really excited about that. I appreciate that. Your passion is infectious. Uh, to those who are listening to the Rob Review, find ways that you can incorporate more reading into your classrooms. That's the message that Laura is giving, and that's a message that we all need to pay attention to. This is Evan Rob with Laura Rob, the Rob Review Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the Rob Review Podcast. Check out our blogs at therobreviewblog.com and tell a friend. Thanks again, and see you next time.